Amen. For our scripture reading this morning, we're turning to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Book of Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. It'll be on the board for us to read aloud together. Beginning in verse 14 of Ephesians 3. Let's read this together from the board. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of God, Christ, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, it is that very prayer that we lift up to you this morning. That every family in heaven and earth is, is, would know according to the riches of your glory that you will grant all of us here today to be strengthened with power through your spirit and in your in our inner being. Lord, we know that Christ dwells within us and I pray that we would be richly aware, richly uh, know his presence with us this morning. I pray that Lord, as we look at what is our ultimate purpose, not only in this church, but in our own very lives, that, Lord, we exist for you, that you have created us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Lord, we pray that as we begin to look at these principles, I pray that you would, uh, that you would lift us up to have a high view of God, a high view of your word that we would have an accurate view of ourselves and an accurate view of the church. Lord, we are here that we may know you. And I pray through this text, we may know you even more, that you are a God that is so worthy of glory and honor and praise forever. And may we know the fullest extent of Christ. We know that throughout all eternity, we will be learning the riches of his grace and we will never exhaust the subject. But Father, this morning, give us a little taste Give us a little hint. Lord, one drop of your glory will bring revival, will bring renewal, and will bring reformation to our hearts. I pray that you would do that for us. Put me aside. I am weak and unworthy and unfit. And yet, Lord, through your spirit, through the explanation of your truths, may you lift your people up this morning to worship you and magnify your name. It is in Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated. I actually had uh, two title screens this morning on the PowerPoint. One said our ultimate purpose, the other said our ultimate why. And uh, I wasn't really sure which one I liked, so I just sent them both to Mark and he got to choose. So Mark chose our ultimate why this morning. And so that's what we're going with. (laughs) Thank you, Mark. 
I do that to him sometimes. So uh, you have no idea how much work he does for our church. It's amazing and how much uh, he makes me look very organized, much more than I am, trust me. So um, we are looking at this morning our ultimate why, our ultimate purpose. Why are we here? And I invite you to go ahead and follow along in your copy of the Word of God in Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to be uh, starting kind of an extended study of different principles of life and ministry uh, that really begins here. It kind of the buck stops here, if you will. And, and this is the reason we do everything we do. The uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism that was later adopted by the great Baptist theologian, Benjamin Keach, who wrote the Baptist Catechism. He didn't make it the first question, but he did include it in his catechism. Says that what is the chief end? What is the chief purpose of man? And the answer is that we may glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that answer comes pretty much word for word from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, that this is the end of all the matter that we may love God and keep fear God and keep his commandments, which brings joy. But I remember when I was at uh, Ryzen Baptist Church, um, the church I was at before I came here, uh, we, we had a, a food pantry that we would allow people to come in and take food that they needed. And, and uh, there was one week that we discovered that there was this group of people who discovered we were doing this, and it became very obvious that they were abusing it, that they were basically look, using us like a Kroger, if you'll forgive the crude expression. And so, uh, so as a result, we had to shut that down for a little while. And there was another uh, office in the, in the town that's very similar to our uh, NADT here, but they didn't do as much as they do. They, they pretty much just handed out commodities and those kinds of things. I guess it'd be more similar to Help and Hope uh, like we have here. And we would always kind of work together. And we had told them that we were going to be suspending this for a little while while we kind of regroup and, and find some policies that will prevent that from happening again so that people who need help will get help. And anyway, about, a, about two months go by, and this lady at the commodities office, she, she called me one day, and she asked the question, she says, hey, this is such and such over at this office, I just want to know if you guys are back in business. And that question really bothered me. And, and I actually told her, I said, well, we never closed down for business. But it was very obvious from her answer, from her question, what she thought the purpose of the church was, to help those who are in need. She thought that that was really the only reason why we were there, and we really had nothing else to do. You know, the truth is, is that we can get sidetracked very easy by what we are doing and how, never stopping and giving serious thought as to why we are doing what we are doing. Why are we here? Some people say, like this lady, is that we are to help people. Well, yes, it's true as far as it goes, but there's lots of organizations that do that. They don't need the church for that, even though, well, they do need the church for that, but you get what I'm saying. You say, well, you're, you come here on Sunday morning to hear the preaching of the word. Boy, that's a great answer, isn't it? But you can do that on the radio. You can do that on, uh, on podcast. You can, you can do that on TV, and you can find a preacher you like and never tells you anything that makes you uncomfortable. And, and if you get bored with them, you can just turn them off. Don't you wish you can do that to me every now and then? 
<laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, you can, you, can, you can get that anywhere. This question is so important because it will answer all the other questions. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do it as a church? Why do we do it as individuals? Why do we do it as individual ministries in the church? Why do we do? That will answer all the other questions. It will answer what we do. It'll answer how we do it. It'll be the basis of our evaluation. It will determine what it is that we are truly worshiping as a church. It really will. And if you think about it, there are some things in the word of God that he tells us to do that quite frankly, if glorifying God is not your goal, they really don't make a lot of sense. For example, look at James chapter two, verse one, for example. James chapter two, verse one, he says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The context of that is that rich people were coming in. The, uh, the uh, Jewish believers uh, in the church were suffering because they had been kicked out of the synagogue. They had no source of income. These are people who could have given them jobs, who could have helped them. And so they were showing preferential treatment to them. And James says, don't do that. Beloved, if our goal is not to glorify God, then in all honesty, why would we not do that? Why would we not do that? Right? Here's another one. And this is pretty, um, looking at modern, what's going on. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as, in the hab as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And you have all been here for, for months on end at the risk of your own health, at the risk of catching a virus. Why in the world would you do that? Why would you do that? And compared to other countries where they go to church, and they may get dragged out. They may get murdered by their own government. They, get, they may get captured by militants. They may get all of these things, and yet they go. Why do they do that? You don't get this answer down. You're not gonna be able to understand things like that. You're not gonna be able to understand why we risk our health to be here. And so... By the way, I don't know if you know about this. Uh, have, you, have you heard what's going on in Canada right now with Pastor James Coates? I, do, I don't know James personally. Uh, I do have a connection to him. He's a, he's a graduate of Master Seminary. He was one of Steve Lawson's students. And uh, he believes the word of God he chose, like many in our nation are doing. He chose to obey God rather than men. Uh, he was arrested by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police they literally led him out in leg shackles and handcuffs. He is sitting in a prison cell today because he refused to quit having church. And he could go home. He could go home. They said, if you just refuse, if you will resign the church and if you will just refuse to quit meeting and quit preaching, you can go home and be with your family. He is sitting in a prison cell today because he refuses to do it. Beloved, that is not China that is not Iran. That is Canada. That is our neighbor, the one who, quite frankly, influences a lot of our laws. And so why? That makes no sense to the world. If we don't get this question right, why we do what we do, why not just have online streaming services? Why not just have all of these other things? If you don't get the answer down, why we do what we do, then all these other things are not gonna make sense. But 
if you get this answer right, you're gonna see that it all makes sense. And what's the answer? Verse 21, to him be glory in the church through Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. That is why we do what we do, to glorify God. Now, am I saying that we shouldn't stream online? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying certain circumstances don't call for it. I'm not saying those things. But what I am saying, and I think most people will agree that they are a cheap substitute for church. They are a cheap substitute. They're an easy substitute. And we don't want to do that. And so our ultimate priority is to glorify God through our church, through our lives, and through our community, in our community. And so the question is, that's a tall order you know, and, and you can say this, it's kind of like, uh, like when you're talking to a couple and they're, and they're struggling with some things and you say, okay, uh, man, you are supposed to love your wife as Christ loves the church. And so what are you gonna do this week? Well, I'm gonna love my, my wife more. Amen, go get them. Well, that doesn't really say anything, does it? How are you gonna do it, right? What are you going to do? What are you gonna do? And, and I'll tell you, sometimes I've, kind of, I've had some men kind of get aggravated at me. I'm like, okay, what are you gonna do? I guess I can do, okay, when are you gonna do it? Okay, Tuesday at six, all right? I'm gonna call you at seven and see how it's going. You know, they're like, what? But, you know, hey, accountability. So our goal is to glorify God through our church, through our lives, in our community. And we're gonna see this in a few ways. Number one, because God is glorified through his priorities by following his priorities. Look at verses 14 through 19. And there is way too much here. This prayer is an amazing prayer of Paul. And by the way, this is a prayer that I often, in the, in the privacy of my study, often pray for you guys. This prayer is an amazing prayer, and it's way too much to mention here. It's a masterful end of a masterful section of the calling of the church that it began in eternity. It is given through Christ. It is empowered through the Spirit. All, in the very end, this wonderful prayer to the glory of God through Jesus Christ throughout all generations. It is jam-packed with rich truths. So we can't get into all of that. One day we're gonna preach through Ephesians and we will. But right now, I just want you to notice the priorities of this prayer. I want you to notice what he says here, that number one, that Christ will dwell in our hearts in verse 17. That Christ will dwell in our hearts, through our hearts, that you being rooted and grounded in love. The, the theme of, of power here is all throughout this. That you may have Power, you may have strength to comprehend, to know what is the height and depth and, and, and length and breadth and all of these things. Notice he's praying for the Ephesians to be strengthened. He's praying for them to be empowered. And by the way, how to be strengthened, how to be empowered? Through faith, through faith alone. That our faith would be effective for salvation, yes but that also that our faith will be rich and that Christ will richly dwell in us. He will richly uh, indwell us in salvation, that we would persevere in our faith, that our faith would be strengthened throughout our lives. The great Baptist preacher, Scottish Baptist preacher and commentator Alexander McLaren, he said that the power in ministry, the first priority 
in ministry is power for holiness, holiness, holiness. That is the first, second, and third priority of the church. That we would know Christ and grow in him. Number two, that we would grow in that knowing Christ. Listen, we're not meant to be saved and stay where we are. We're meant to mature in the faith. We're meant to grow in the faith, that we would know his love and the incredible lengths of it, the incredible breadths of it, the incredible depth of it, and the height of it. I heard no preacher one time, and you've probably heard this too, when they would read this verse and they would notice the height, the depth, the breadth, the length, and they would brawl that out in the shape of a cross, right? That if you want to know the depth of the love of Jesus Christ, the depth of the love of God, you need look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. I love the, uh, I love the hymn that's been rewritten that says, uh, I, you, I, you cannot look at Christ on the cross and doubt his willingness to save you. It's an amazing thought. Uh, immovable, our hope remains is the, is the name of that hymn. And it's an amazing, amazing thought. The four points of the cross. Now, and if we want to know the fullness of his love, we need look no further than the cross. I, I don't know that that's really what Paul had in mind here, but it's, but it's kind of cool, right? You know, the up, down, left, right, right? But look what he says that we, he wants us, the point is, is that he wants us to know the fullness of his love. The whole point is not the four points, but everything in between, that, that we would know the fullness of the love of Christ, that we would know him. It's an amazing statement, especially when you consider 1 Kings 8, 27, when Solomon is dedicating the temple that is literally one of the seven wonders of the world. Yet he says, God, behold, would you indeed dwell on the earth? Heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you much less this house that I have built. And what is amazing about that is that as you look in not verse 19, he says that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Beloved, the very God who literally can not, the, the entire universe cannot tame the bigness of God and yet he chooses and he is pleased to indwell us. Isn't that Amazing. Isn't that incredible? We have unlimited riches of grace in us. We have unlimited. You are only limited by the power of God. I'd say that's pretty good, right? When we are in his will, when we are seeking holiness, beloved, even though, yes, we have setbacks, you need never be discouraged. You need never be dismayed because your holiness is only limited by the power of God. It's only limited by the strength of God to work in you. And so, therefore, we must seek God's priorities. The more we are like Christ, the more we will love what Christ loves, want what Christ wants, go where Christ goes. It's all glorified through Jesus Christ. I was teaching teens and my last youth ministry, and I was teaching on the person and work of Christ, and one of the parents got a little upset with me. She said, you don't, they don't need to know all of that stuff about Jesus. They just need to know how to be a better friend. They need to know practical stuff like that. 
Now turn to John 15, 12. I said, Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. How are they gonna learn to love others if they don't know the love of Christ for them? As we grow in Christ's love, we will fulfill this commandment. So God is glorified through his priorities. What are our priorities? To build our faith in Christ, to mature in Jesus Christ, that God will be glorified. Number two, God is glorified through his power. God is glorified through his power. Look at verse 20. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us. Boy, I went really long on that first point, so I'm gonna hurry now. So he says that he is glorified through his power. What happens here? See, the temptation for many of us is that once we are saved, we begin to want to turn around and start living the Christian life and start doing things on our own. And we all do that, don't we? Every single one of us. But this is not glorifying to God. You see, the one who gives the strength is the one who gets the glory. The one who gives the strength, the one who gives the power, the one who gives the grace is the one who gets the glory. And that's why we have to know that everything we need for life and godliness comes from Jesus Christ. He is the one that gives the grace. Therefore, he is the one who gives the glory. And why is that so important? Because first of all, we need to understand that our God is the one who is able. He is the one who is able. Look what it says. It's very emphatic. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. That is extremely emphatic. The highest form in the Greek language of of comparison. It is infinitely more than we ask or think. And beloved, just just let me give an example. Don't, Don't rush through Paul's prayer here because I want you to notice what he does. You may think this is a contradiction, but look what he says. He says in verse 19 that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Well, how are you gonna know something that surpasses knowledge, right? How are you gonna know something that surpasses your ability to know? We talked about being filled with all the fullness of God, and yet, and yet the highest heavens, all the universe cannot contain the fullness of God, and yet Paul prays that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Well, wait a minute, that's impossible, right? Except for the God who is able. You see, it's possible because it's not by our strength. We can know what surpasses knowledge. Why? Because the one who gives the grace gets the glory. Can we know it on our own? No. But that's the whole point. Remember when Jesus told the rich young ruler after he was gone, he says that it's easier for a man, or a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go to heaven. Remember the disciples' reaction? Who can be saved then? Because we're certainly not rich. What was his answer? With God, all things are possible. You see, the point is not to find some mysterious door in Jerusalem that they had a hard time getting camels through. The point is that apart from Jesus Christ, it is easier for a rich man or poor man or any man to go through the eye of a needle than it is for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. And that's the point. And that's the point here. Why is it that we can know what surpasses knowledge 
Because God is able. Because he is far abundantly able to do more than we ask or think. He is able to do that for us. We just cannot even fathom. God is able to do what we cannot even fathom. He is able to do so much more than we can even imagine. You know, so many times I cannot even imagine what God wants to accomplish. And, and I don't know if you've done this where oftentimes, man, you think God is just moving in something. God is working. And it's very obvious that he is, but then it just falls apart. And you're like, God, I'm so sure that you were in this. The evidence was all there. I know. I mean, we, we crossed all the T's. We dotted all the I's. We know that you were in this and yet it all fell apart. Why? And then kind of find out. God wasn't actually doing what you thought he was. He was doing something else that was even better. You ever have that happen? Right, you see, because our God is able to do more and he's working in more than we ever thought, than we ever began to think about. We have some passages here that talk about Paul's dependence upon God, but um, let me just read one. 1 Corinthians, actually, let me read, uh, let me read 2 Corinthians Chapter three, verses four and five. He says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things for his will is possible. Why is it, have you, and I, and I know I've told you this before, but have you ever thought about why it is that Jesus in his earthly ministry would often tell people to do the very things they couldn't do? What would he say to the lame man? Get up and walk. What would he say to the blind man? Open your eyes and see. What would he say to the deaf man? After he put a little spit in mud. Actually, that was the blind man. What would he do to the deaf man? He'd say, open your ears and hear. In fact, what did he even say to a dead man in the grave? Get up, come out. You know, if you think, if you think about it, if anyone else did that, that would be a cruel joke, would it not? You know, I, and I've told you this before, I used to watch those uh, commercials, that, those infomercials that would come on, and, uh, and it would be for illiteracy, you know, and they would say, if you're an adult and you can't read, dial 1-800-A-B-C-D-E-F-G, and I thought, how cruel, they can't read that. You know, or they would say, learn to read or something like that. I'm like, how in the world are they going to dial that number? I just, I just thought, that's cruel, right? If it were anyone else, that would be cruel, and yet when Christ does it, not only does he tell them to do it, but by virtue of his call, they have the power to do it. Why? Because the one who gives the power gets the glory. It wasn't the lame man's glory. He didn't do anything. It wasn't the dead man's glory. He certainly didn't do anything. And beloved, when you came to be a believer in Jesus Christ the Lord, it was not for your glory. You did nothing. God saved you by his mercy. Amen. And the one who gives the mercy gets the glory.
The one who gives the grace gets the glory. Get the idea that I want you to remember that? Say it one more time. The one who gives the grace gets the glory. So if God is gonna be glorified in this church, beloved, we've got to do it through his grace. We've got to do it through his power. We've got to do it through his strength. We cannot worship our way to heaven. We cannot worship our way. We cannot serve our way to God's will. We cannot do these things to God's will. We do it through his strength. It initiates in him. And the one who strengthens us we go out and we do it for his glory. Whatever it is, even the unpopular things like church discipline and, and rebuking and, and conflict and when it's done in the right ways, biblical way, even, even, the, even, the, even the great things, even the not so good things, even all of that, it's all done for his glory because that is our ultimate priority. And if we don't get that down, then there are certain parts of the scriptures we're going to form a habit of disobeying. We've got to be very clear. Beloved, I don't, I don't want to go to jail for my faith. I really don't. But I do want the glory of God. And, it, and if he is glorified by my sitting in a jail cell, then he will give me the strength to do it. And he'll do the same for all of you. God is glorified through his priorities. He's glorified through his power. And finally, he's glorified through his people. Look at the end of verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Notice what he says, at work within us. There's a couple of things to notice here, but, but the grand scheme of this that I want you to see is that even though it is by God's power, that doesn't mean that we are passive. It doesn't mean that we don't have responsibility. It doesn't mean that we don't, we don't work and we don't sweat and we don't toil and we don't bleed and we don't even die to see the glory of God brought about in the church and through his people. There is responsibility on our side. The Bible is very clear. And you know, I'm telling you this all the time. We see it side by side. God's sovereignty, his strength, our responsibility. This is not a contradiction. This is not, it is a tension, yes, but it is not a contradiction. Not in the mind of God. And while we do it in his strength, there is things that we do. And there is responsibility we must uphold. But here's a great thing. Number one, notice that his power is at work within us, and that at work, it is actually a continuous tense, which means it is continually working. As long as we are in the will of God, his power is continually working to see it through. He who began a good work in you will see it to completion unto the day of Christ. And so he is at work within us. His grace is working out his purposes and in our hearts and in our lives. In fact, turn to, uh, I don't have this on the board, turn to um, um, Titus chapter two. I want you to see this, Titus chapter two. This makes for a, a great Sunday after Christmas sermon. But Titus chapter two and verse 11 and following through 14. 
He says here, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, right? But what does that grace of God do? It brings salvation, but what else does it do? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I want you to notice that salvation is not, is not it's, it's passive, yes. We don't do anything to earn our salvation, but that salvation works in us. That salvation does a work in us. It trains us. It, it, it enables us. It strengthens us. It empowers us to live a life that is now pleasing to God. That is now zealous for his holiness. That is now longing for him. What we once hated, we now love. What we once avoided, we now long for. It changes us. It makes us more like Jesus Christ. When grace truly comes in our hearts, it, it works to make us holy, not, not overnight. In fact, it won't be completed until we are in heaven. But it is working. It works itself out more and more to transform us and conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And so that power is at work and it is at work within us. It is at work Within us. In other words, his grace is at work in our hearts to seek and desire and to do his will, to do what he commands us to do in the word. And as we grow in Christ, we're growing in zeal for his glory. The more we see God work, the more we want more of it. The more we want to see it, the more we practice faithful, prayerful obedience to Christ, the more we will see his work and his power working both within us and through us. Beloved, do you know that you have that power in you right now? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have that power at work within you. The only thing that shuts it off is when we resist it. And stop doing that. Let it flow you know, Acts 1.8 sometimes is used in what I believe is an inappropriate way. We all know Acts 1.8, but I'm just gonna read it. It says, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. He's telling this to his disciples right outside of Jerusalem, a passage that's very familiar. But you know, sometimes I think this verse is used to say that we must wait for the Holy Spirit unction to do something. I think this verse is used sometimes to say that, you know, I, I don't do this until I feel the Holy Spirit moving me, until I feel called, until I do this or that. When I'm called to witness to so-and-so, then I will do it. When I'm, when I'm called to go to church, then I will do it. When I'm called to do this, yada, yada, yada. Beloved, he was saying that to 11 men outside of Jerusalem. And it was fulfilled on Pentecost, which means you don't have anything to wait for. The Holy Spirit is within you now. If you are a believer, you are walking in the Holy Spirit. Beloved, 
We are commanded to do his will through the spirit that he has given us. Don't wait for the perfect timing. If you're waiting for that, you'll never do it. There will never be a perfect time except now, except now. I heard someone say one time the, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 30 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is today. Love it in the same way. The best time was Pentecost. The second best time is now. Second best time is now. Don't wait until we feel like doing his will. The more you do his will, the more the feelings will follow, the more the affections will grow, the more the experiential aspects of our faith will come. Don't wait for a feeling. In the famous words of the great theologian rock band, Boston, we need more than a feeling. More than a feeling. And we have more in Jesus Christ. So go for the glory of God. Watch him work in your life. One of my favorite Bible stories was uh, 2 Samuel 23 when David wanted water from Bethlehem and he's hiding in a cave and there's three mighty men who are just kind of sitting behind him and he says, oh, how I wish I had water from Bethlehem. And, and, and the three mighty men, I can just imagine, say, hey, did you hear that? And they grab their sword and they say, let's go. And they go to Bethlehem and they fight through the garrison. They fight through the city halls. They're fighting the Philistines. And what's amazing is that while two of them are fighting, one of them goes to the well, gets the water. And then they fight their way back to David and they say, here's your water. King David, you wanted water. We went and got it. Beloved, are you willing to say, let's go? Are you willing to say, is there someone whom you don't, is there someone whom you know that you can show Christian hospitality? Let's go. Is there someone who is discouraged that you can call and pray with this week? Let's go. Is there someone you know that needs to hear the gospel? Let's go. Is there someone who is caught up in a sin that you can lovingly and patiently restore? Let's go. Is there someone whom you can show Jesus' kindness to this week, perhaps in a meal or maybe even just a cold drink of water? Let's go. Go in the name of Jesus. Go in the power of the Spirit and go for the glory of God. Don't wait for the perfect time. Time is now. Beloved, if you are here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm not going to say, let's go. I'm going to say, come on. I would love to show you how you can have the power. You can not worship your way to heaven. You can not go to church your way to heaven. You can only know Christ through the gospel. And I'd love to give it to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths. We thank you for these insights that you have given Paul through your inspiration and now you have given us through exposition. Lord, I pray this morning as we are getting ready to sing our final song and go out, Lord, that we would go out for you. That we would go out and for your kingdom, for your glory, for Jesus Christ, to the expansion of your kingdom, the expansion of your church, And Lord, if there's one here who doesn't know you as Savior, may today be the day. 
that you would draw them to yourself. Stand up together and just sing this easy chorus. And I just invite you to make this your prayer this morning.